0: Uh, over the summer, we are looking at a bit of a fun series, but it's, it's got a serious point to it, so we're calling our series Not Just for Sunday School, okay? That's the, the title that we've given, and as I alluded, today we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath, okay? Possibly one of the most famous stories in the Bible, but it's one of those stories that's known by all sorts of people, even if you've never even been to church. Uh, It's just a very, very well-known story, but it's possibly also sometimes, I think, one of the misunderstood stories in the Bible. So it's a a reasonably long story, but hopefully I'll read it with pace and with a bit of interest. But we're going to, to look at this famous story. It comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at a place I can't pronounce in Judah and they pitched their camp at another place that I can't pronounce. But anyway, there it is. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, I can't pronounce that, and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other and the valley was between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. He was either nine foot tall, that's three meters. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels, which is 125 pounds, or in new money, 57 kilograms. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point alone weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds or 7 kilograms. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why do you come up and line out for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul?' Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul, king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephraite named Jesse. He was from Bethlehem in Judea. Jesse had eight sons and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first one was Eliab, the second was Abinadab and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain, ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army were going out to its battle positions, shouting war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle line and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. The Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God's? <clears throat> so they repeated to him what had been, uh, they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him? You're only a boy. He's been fighting man from his youth. "'David said to Saul, "'Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. "'When a lion or a bear come "'and are carried off a sheep from the flock, "'I went after it, I struck it, "'and rescued the sheep from its mouth. "'When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, "'struck it and killed it. "'Your servant has killed both lion and bear. "'This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them.' Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. I always get this picture of a little boy with things right all over him. Do you get that same picture? David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine and his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. Said to David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" The Philistine cursed David by his gods. "Come here," he said. "I'll give the flesh of the birds, to, uh, your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field." David said to the Philistine, "You have come against me with sword and spear and javelin." But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into his hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from his scabbard, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout, pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, And to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewed along the Shaharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Mighty God. Mighty, sovereign, living God. We thank you for who you are. We thank you today that you say we are seated with you, that we are in you and that you are in us. We pray that the eyes of our heart would be opened. We pray that our ears would be opened to your spirit as you want to speak to us today. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So 3,000 years ago, in the valley of Elah, a massive man named Goliath of Gath steps out Uh, of the Philistine ranks to defy and taunt the army of Israel and their gods for 40 days 40 days can you imagine it day after day he harangues these Israelite warriors heaping shame upon shame remember this is a shame honour culture so every time they run away they're more and more in shame none of them would dare to accept this fight to the death winner takes all kind of challenge Every morning, he would step forward and provoke them. Every morning, the men of God would shrink back. And then this teenage, if he's even that, shepherd boy, Hebrew shepherd boy named David, steps into the camp with some bread and cheese. He's come with bread and cheese for his brothers, and he hears this giant screaming and yelling, yelling obscenities at the army of the Lord and at the Lord himself, and a righteous anger rises up in david and after a slight detour via the king's armor and refusing it he took his shepherd's sling he grabs a stone he smacks goliath right between the eyes he runs over and he chops off goliath's head with his own swords now it's a famous story isn't it very very famous story very well known by many people even if they've never been to church And I think if you were to ask people, they would probably say that the defeat of Goliath is a story of personal courage. yeah? A personal courage in the face of overwhelming odds. This is the stuff of action films, isn't it? David is the archetypal underdog. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. He's a bit underweight. I always imagine David as just a skinny. Do you? Is that how you imagine him? You know, he's underweight. He's a bit of a scrawny guy. Although maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But going up against this monster of a man who's cruel, ruthless, huge, giant, huge muscles, huge weapons, all the odds are stacked against David. That's the picture that many would have in their minds but at the same time when people look at David I think they they they're quite inspired in some way yes he's a bit naive maybe but actually he's quite self-confident he's independent he's uh, plucking up the courage for the fights that he's about to 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 go into Throwing off conventional wisdom. No, he's not going to go with what would normally happen. He's going to throw off those kinds of things. He's going to rely on his wit and his skill and his strength. The theme would be, this is a great story. How do you, how do you get courage? Well, you, you go for it. You, you remind yourself who you are and, you, and you, you chase after it. Come on, you can do it that would be the inspiration get out there face your giants you can do it that's the kind of picture i found a picture i don't know how well it's going to project but this is lucasite okay anybody remembers this but look this is look at the muscles on david there but that lucasite okay so this is the lucasite picture energy beats everything yours theirs the universes okay so this is what you need apparently get a bottle of lucasite and you're going to sort it or in other words, you know, find, find that strength. Okay, leave that there for a minute if you like, just to advertise Lucas 8. But anyway, but what is this story really all about? Where does courage come from? It's a, it's a word we use a lot. How do you get it when you need it, is it, with Lucas 8? When some great fear towers over you, threatens you, you feel like cowering, you feel like running into some cave or some habit of security and protection, where does courage come from? Where did David's courage come from? It's true, David was courageous. There's no doubting that. I want to say this, I don't in any way want to be negative about courage. Courage is a good thing. Courage is a Bible thing, all right? So, courage is a good thing. It's a Bible thing. But when he faced Goliath, David's courage wasn't something he somehow mustered up from inside, within himself. It wasn't something that he found, he plucked up courage from somewhere. No, his courage came from outside of himself. It was being empowered by something else. Now, before we look just briefly a bit more at where did David's courage come from, we need to just ask ourselves a quick question. Why was Saul the king and his soldiers lacking in courage? At least at this moment. What what was going on there? See, on the surface, the answer seems quite obvious. You say, well, duh, Mark. It's obvious, isn't it? The Philistine champion was over nine feet tall incredibly strong. He had to be to carry all that gear that he was supposed to be carrying. He was highly trained, highly experienced. He actually was a killing machine. That's what he was. He was a killing machine. Many, many people would have died at his hands. I wanted to show you a picture. Hopefully it will come out. Some of you will know this is Britain's tallest man up the road at Lanes End School last year. Okay, Jackie said when he walked into the assembly hall, the whole school went like that. This is the smallest boy in the school. His name is Paul, not the boy, but the man. His name is Paul Sturgis. Any guesses? We haven't put it up there, have we? No. Any guesses how tall Paul Sturgis is? I can hear some sevens around here. He's seven foot seven. All right? Seven foot seven. Um, he did a wonderful story, Jackie. Ask Jackie about it, or whoever was at Lane's End that day. But he's got a specially made house. He's got a specially made car. He's got a specially made bed. I mean, you know. Goliath was, it says, over nine foot tall. So take that little boy and stand him on top of Paul, and you're getting somewhere maybe close to Goliath. Okay, so perhaps it's not surprising that they were running. Physically, every man in the Hebrew army was clearly outclassed, and certainly David was in size. It would have been very much like this, I guess. You'd be mad, mad to step out and take him on. But fighting Goliath was not such a mad idea to David. So what's David got? that The king and the army, what's missing? Something's wrong, something's missing. I want to remind you, this is the army of Israel. This is the army of God. This is God's army. These men believed in God. They knew Israel's history. They knew the stories. They knew how God had overcome one giant adversary after another. Many of them would have personally seen God do amazing things, even beating the Philistines, like a couple of chapters before, chapter 14, Jonathan's defeat of the Philistines, you remember? Perhaps God is with us. Jonathan and his armor bearer, up they go. There's only, one, there's only two swords. Saul is sitting on his, and Jonathan's got the other one. And up they go. And this incredible defeat, and God comes in. So they would have known. They would have seen that. These men lacked courage to face Goliath because I believe these men lacked faith. These men lacked courage to face Goliath because these men lacked faith. At this moment, for whatever reason, despite all the stories and past experience, Goliath looked bigger than God. Each one of them believed that if any one of them went up against this massive human killing machine, they would be on their own and that they would end up, to quote Goliath, as human food for wild animals. So what made David different? It was not because he was some cool all-action adventure hero that managed to drum up some inner courage from, from somewhere. What fueled David's courage was his deep confidence in God's promises and God's power to fulfill them. Amen? In the previous chapter, Samuel, the prophet, had told David that God had chosen him to be the next king of Israel. He'd anointed him with his brothers all standing around him. So David knew this when he arrived in the camp. And when he hears Goliath shouting and swearing, he also drew confidence from remembering the promises of God on his life, but also the promises of God and the way that God had helped him in the past by protecting the sheep, when he was protecting the sheep from the lion and the bear. The source of David's courage was this. He was not self-confident, he was God's confidence. David believed that God would never break his promise. That whatever the giant that was prepared to make itself an obstacle to the promises of God, God could just flick it away, even with a pebble. Friends, it's a vital key in our Christian life and walk to just take hold of this. It's a, it's a vision and perspective thing. It's how we see. It's the lenses we look through. What's so important to remember is that the Christian life and walk is so often, it's what is immediately in front of us is not all that there is. So often it's what is in front of me. The bill that has just arrived, the the medical details that have just arrived, or the relational breakdown, or the work situation, or whatever it might be. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they aren't small. I'm not saying they aren't challenging. But our eyes, our focus, can very quickly get onto the giant that is there in front of us. So often it's what is immediately in front of us. catches our attention but we need to know and be reminded again and again that what is in front of us is not all that there is when david saw what sorry what david saw and what his brothers saw indeed the whole army saw was totally different his brothers the army even the king saw an insurmountable giant David saw a wicked, unholy enemy who dared to come against the Lord God's almighty. This is not about being an all-action hero. This is not about plucking up some courage. Let me quote again verses 46 and 47. This day, the Lord, let's say the Lord. The Lord. Let's say it with confidence. The Lord. <laughs> will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine enemy to the birds and wild animals. The whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord and he, let's say he, he will give all of you into our hands. David went out to fight with a faith-filled assurance that God would give him victory over Goliath. And when he did, the victory would first and foremost demonstrate God's power, God's faithfulness, not David's courage. Now, a couple of points of application. I'd love us just to share communion in a moment or two for those who would like to do that together. But let me just give you a couple of points of application. Question mark, what is your source of courage? Where, when you need courage, do you go? See, courage is not just automatic. I can't just make it appear. Right, I need courage. <laughs> Thanks for the sound effect, everybody. <laughs> courage is always produced by faith. Even if you've got nothing to do with Christianity, courage is always produced by faith. The question is, is what are you putting your faith in? Whether our faith is in God or in something else. Is my faith in my education? My faith in my physique, my muscles? My faith in my wealth? What I've got in the bank? Courage is produced by faith. The question is, is what do I put my faith in? It has a basis. It comes from somewhere. See, the thing about that army, they had lacked courage. They'd lost faith. They didn't know where to turn. They looked at their own bodies and it wasn't going to work. They looked at Goliath, it wasn't going to work. They'd lost faith. They'd lost courage because they had lost faith. For the Christian, a lack of courage, or what the writer calls to the Hebrew, calls shrinking back, Hebrews 10, 37, 38. It's always an evidence of a lack of faith in the promises of God. There's some Goliath which is looming in our sight, seemingly larger than God, and it's taunting us into humiliation. And at that moment, we look at our physique, Or we look at our intellect, or we look at our bank resources, or any other resources, and all we seem to be able to see is how weak and pathetic we are, how inadequate we are in the face of this Goliath. Fighting it seems impossible, and the thought begins to paralyze us with fear. Now it's important to know that all of us experience fear. Fear is an important emotion. It, there are moments when fear causes us to move away from fire or run away from danger. Fear, I believe, is from God in that sense. Even David had fear. Yes, he fueled his confidence and his courage to faith Goliath with God's promises. But just go to the first 25 chapters of the Psalms, the book of Psalms written by David. And it shows you how often David battled with fear. Even at times, this sense of almost you feel like, is this unbelief? Is David getting into unbelief? But certainly fear. And you read the descriptions of genuine fear and battle going on in his mind. But at the same time, over and over again, if you read those Psalms, you will hear this But the Lord. But the Lord. But the Lord my shield, but the Lord my hope, but the Lord my stronghold. Over and over again. Brothers and sisters, where do you go for courage? What do you put your faith in? You might want to reflect on that this week. Another element of this fight is to get angry at fear. Get angry at fear. David's faith made him more than just courageous. When he heard the Philistine cursing and defying the living God and and his army, it made him angry. Goliath's taunts, Goliath's actions, scorning God's glory. When no one was prepared to step up and defend the name of God, it made God look weak, and David was not having that. He's looking around, he's thinking, Don't you, you know, you, who is this guy? Don't you know your God? Who is this guy? He got really angry. I want to say to us, that actually is a good and right response to our fear. You see, as much as this might surprise you, our fears are not primarily about us. Even though they feel that way. Our fears are first and foremost about our view and understanding of God. You see, like Goliath, our fears, the accusations of the enemy, we might talk about that, how Satan might whisper in our ears, they abuse and they demean God's character. Do you remember the very first chapter of the Bible? Do you remember that phrase? Did God really say? Did God really say? There's this is demeaning. Are you sure he's as big as all that? Are you sure he's really capable? They abuse, fears abuse and demean God's character. Just like Goliath, they call him weak. Why on earth are you leaning on this non-existent God? He's not even there. Why are you trying to trust in, trust in this God? Why are you depending your life? told the story before i remember many years ago a bank manager ringing me up and asking me where this money was going every month where was i sending this money every month and i talked about how i gave regularly and consistently out of my finance into the life of the church and the world will look on and say really you give how much but what happens if your car breaks down what happens if what happens if You can't rely on him then, can you? Can you? Fears will abuse, they will demean God's character, they will call him weak, they will call him non-existent, they stand in defiance of God and of the church. Brothers and sisters, it's an outrage. Our challenge is not to run away. Our challenge is not to bury or to hide our fears. Thank God that we can have those around us who can help us to stand. But we stand up to our fears. What do we do? We take every thought captive and we bring it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who did die and who is risen again. Who's seated at the right hand of the Father. No, that thought, Jesus is alive. My faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's all go down the beach right now. But Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. That's what is faith. Now that's a step of faith. That's believing. So I look at how that happened. I work through it. And if you're not sure today, I want to encourage you, go back to the Bible, talk to someone you trust, work it through. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? If he did, we have to look at who he is and those challenges in, upon our lives. You know what happens when I go away from my notes, don't you? <laughs> you see, there's a challenge. The enemy of God's people The enemy of you and I wants us to run away, wants us to hide, wants us to go and lean on our finances, go and check our bank balance, or go into some other area that will somehow satisfy us short term, some sort of substance abuse, some sort of uh, area of pornography perhaps, maybe an area of relying on friends, relying on position. It's challenging, takes courage to face up to those things. But it's not unfounded courage. These giants who feel bigger than we are can be very intimidating to our flesh. But they can and will be slain just like David's giant was, by faith. By faith, by trusting in God, by leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ but our courage to face these things will not come from self confidence it will only come from confidence in god and his powerful promises you see we don't wage war as the world does instead we take up the spiritual warfare weapons of 2 corinthians chapter 10:4 and ephesians chapter 6:16 6, we take up the shield of faith The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we pray in the Spirit on all occasions. What is our aim? Not just to dismiss. Not just to skirt around. Not even to contain. Our aim is to kill. Jesus said, Paul said, put to death. Put to death. See, we have an enemy who shouts and taunts and says, you won't win. We have a Savior who said, I've already won. final point it's very warm in here today isn't it final point your work and your life is not meaningless especially to god and his purposes can you please hear that every single one of you your work and your life is not meaningless especially to god and his purposes see it's time some of you may have feel you've been forgotten you may say, I'm, I'm invisible. People just look through me. You may feel, as it were, you're out in some remote field, on the fringe, on the edge. And then you get a call Can you take some cheese and bread to where the action is? How do you respond in that moment? Cheese and bread? Don't you know who I am? I've recently been anointed by the prophet Samuel. I'm about to be king. I'm the chosen one, you know. Cheese and bread. I've been there. Three years, theological training, assistant pastor in a local church, and then you find yourself in a context where it seems as though all that is taken away. All of it is gone. You're not anybody with any title. You're not really doing anything, and one day the call comes. We need someone to go to church early each week, actually it was a sports centre, and put out 150 chairs and set up the OHP. Who remembers OHPs? For those of you under the age of 30, it's one of those, but older. Um, We need someone to go early every morning, put up 150 chairs in the OHP, and actually by the way there's a load of PA gear to get out of the cupboard would you be willing do you know who I am I've just done three years theological training I was an assistant pastor it's the voice of the Lord Mark there's a whole bunch of things that I want to teach you that I want you to learn If you're willing, if you will learn, then watch what I will do in you and through you. See, in the years that he spent defending his sheep against lions and bears, not only were David's hands trained and prepared to defeat Goliath with a slingshot, so physically he had training, his heart was being prepared his mind, his faith. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. I'm a crack shot. I I will take him down. He doesn't talk about the skill that he has. Undoubtedly, he has a skill. He talks about his knowledge of the Lord, his understanding of the Lord's He was faithful in the small, some might even say obscure. And he grew both in skill and in confidence. In his ability? No. In the Lord's ability to bring the victory for his glory. Amen? Amen. Can I invite you just maybe to close your eyes for a moment? to take opportunity to take communion for those who would like to do that in just a moment let's just reflect for a moment is there anything in your life right now that you've realized looks bigger than god Where do you go for courage? Just a sense in my own heart, there's some of you, a few of you perhaps, got some pretty big things in your life right now. And they undoubtedly will consume you if you let them. They consume your thinking, consume your conversation. You wake up in the middle of the night with it. An invitation today to lift your eyes. Just reminded of that psalm again. Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the hills. Context of that psalm actually is that there were shrines to different gods around the hills. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Does it come from these gods? Does it come from the God of finance or the God of sex or the the God of self-confidence, whatever it might be? Where does my help come from? No, my help comes from the maker of these hills. My help comes from the Lord of the heavens and the earth. To anything that looks bigger than God, I invite you this morning to fix your eyes on Jesus. I want to pray right now for faith to come in this room, faith to rise up, to believe in the promises of God. Some of you have words over your life, need to get them out and read them again and hold them before the Lord and say, Lord, this is what you've said. A few weeks ago, numbers of us were in a meeting where we were challenged about things that had been left on the shelf. We were invited to take things off the shelf, dust them off and come again with faith, offering them before the Lord's. Father, I pray for a renewal. I pray for a, a restoration of faith today. Lord, where our eyes have of got off of you, we ask your forgiveness and we run again by faith to you. We come to this communion table and in just a moment we are reminded again that your body was given, your blood was given for us. That our hope is based on that finished work of the cross. That we have been forgiven. That we no longer have to be slaves to fear in the, in the, in the words of that song. Actually we've died Died to that in Jesus Christ when we, we were buried with him and we've been raised with him. And so fear no longer has mastery over us. And so we speak to fear even in this room today and we say, fear, go in the name of Jesus. And we say, let faith rise up in this place today. Let faith rise up. Lord, some of us are battling and struggling with big things, but we, we, we want to come to you today and we put our eyes upon you and we remember your promises. I looked and I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head is many crowns. Just want, as I read this, just see Goliath shrink. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth... The word comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has a name written: King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is this uncircumcised fellow? That he should defy the armies of the living, almighty God. Pray for a right sizing today, Lord, in our minds, in our thinking. The right sizing of those challenges that undoubtedly we face. May they find their right size before your throne. Before your face, before your glory. Help us to be those who encourage and build and strengthen and stand alongside one another. Lord, when we're in the battle, we thank you that you're with us. But we also thank you you've placed us into family. You've placed us into the local church. You've placed us alongside brothers and sisters who who will stand with us, pray for us, encourage us.